so I've been studying the book of Hebrews for a while now. I read the book every single day. There's 13 chapters. My goal is to, has been for a number of years to read 14 chapters a day. I typically read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, but this year I'm just reading the book of Hebrews every day, every day. I'm almost done memorizing the entire book. I've read uh, half a dozen commentaries. I'm reading some more. I listen to sermons on the, on the book, and so I've just saturated myself in that book and will, uh, I'm looking forward to teaching it. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of it this morning as I get rolling on that. And so just a little introduction to it. If you read the book of Hebrews, you decide to read it, you'll notice that at the front, at the beginning, there's no mention of the author. And so there's been an ongoing discussion, debate, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Nobody knows. Uh, They will sometimes guess Paul or Barnabas or Titus or uh, Luke, but nobody really knows for sure. So as I've been reading it and memorizing and reading commentaries on it, most of the books in the New Testament are letters. That is, they were written as a letter and sent to churches. The book of Hebrews began as a sermon by a pastor to a, that was a church in Rome. And the sermon was so good that in the audience, someone wrote the sermon out and sent it to friends, and it became, uh, it just got uh, recopied and resent and recopied and resent out to many, many other believers. But it started as a sermon in a small home house church by a pastor with a church in Rome. Uh, if you remember your history, uh, AD 64, 70% of Rome burnt down. The whole city just consumed it, basically. Nero got blamed for that fire. Whether he did or didn't, no one knows for sure, but everybody said that he did. And so in order to take the heat off, he said the Christians did it. And that began a very, very intense persecution of believers, starting in Rome, went all over basically the known world at that time. And it was very severe. They would arrest them, put them in an arena, and have lions eat them in front of crowds. All kinds of awful persecution began to take place. Uh, beginning in 64 A.D. Well, it was about 68 A.D. that the letter of the, uh, to the Hebrews was written or preached, and the pastor was preaching to his congregation because people were bailing out. They were turning their backs on their faith on Christ on the church because of the persecution. And so he preached this sermon to them, and basically he says, stay strong, don't quit, uh, even in spite of the persecution. And uh, so, let me read to you as we start this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. But before I read it, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'll bless our time this morning as we look into your word. I pray that you would work in each of our lives. Uh, We tend to sometimes uh, bail out as well, not abruptly, but gradually, uh, for different reasons than persecution But, Lord, we often drift away, get lukewarm, apathetic. I pray that you would use your word to stir us and give us uh, passion for you and living the Christian life. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 13 chapters, and he goes through the whole book. And uh, whenever the writer or the speaker uses the word therefore in the New Testament, it's almost always a statement that summarizes everything that's been said up to that point. And so this uh, verse is sort of the summary statement of the entire book of Hebrews. Therefore, 
Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's the theme statement of the entire book of Hebrews. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now about this time, the apostle Paul was arrested by Nero and put in jail. And about 68, 69 A.D., he was martyred for his uh, position as a believer. His head was cut off. And just days before he was killed, he wrote the book of Second Timothy. To, uh, to Timothy was a pastor, and he was a mentor of him. And so in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. He knew he was just days from being killed. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, I want to say that when I get to the end of my life. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's a reward that God gives to believers that finish at a sprint, who finish well. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, those that have uh, not grown weary, not got lukewarm, not drifted away, but have grown their uh, entire life. And so there's reasons why people drift, fall, get lukewarm, apathetic. I thought we would look at those this morning in your notes. Number one, many don't finish the race well because they have little fear of not finishing well. They're naive, complacent, foolish. No big deal. I've got it together. They really don't fear falling, drifting. Did you know that by my observation as a pastor over the last 42 years and others that have uh, observed and even written about the topic, the number that start well, they trust Christ and then don't finish well, the number is twice of those who do finish well, two to one. And uh, as a pastor, that's probably the most difficult thing for me to deal with, is see people start and then not finish. Uh, it's, it's actually quite sad, and one of the major reasons is there's little fear of believers. I don't, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to drift. I'm not going to slide away. We took this bicycle trip we just got a couple of months ago, May and June, rode 3,200 miles. Now, we went to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you know this, but lots of people go to the Grand Canyon. And when you're going to the Grand Canyon, there's lots of cars and traffic, and there's no shoulder on the road. And so you have uh, the gravel, the pavement, and the white line is about two inches from the gravel. And so on a bicycle, you ride right on top of the white line. You don't go off to the right because you go into the gravel and you'll fall over. You don't go to the left because you'll get run over. Do you know what the greatest thing bicycle riders fear? RVs with the words, rent me. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, somebody 
driving that thing that usually drives a Kia Rio. And so now they're in this big RV going down this narrow road. If you see one of those, man, you head for the ditch. And so you're riding your bicycle. Do you know if you just lose like three seconds, just don't pay attention, wander out into the road with your bicycle, you'll get run over. Or wander over to the right, you hit the gravel, you go head over heels. And so you pay attention, and you pay attention because you think to yourself, I don't think it would feel good if I got run over by one of those RVs. I don't think it would feel good if I hit the gravel and go head over heels, so you pay attention. Now, the Grand Canyon was bad. Yellowstone was worse. I mean, just constant car after car after car after car, and there was no shoulder, and there were lots of... And so you just stay right on that white line, and you pay attention, and you've got this sort of fear that drives you. People who fear drifting away from the Lord tend not to. Those who are complacent... Uh, almost always do. Hebrews 4.1, Therefore let us fear, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And so this fellow's preaching to his congregation, many that are taking off, backing, uh, backsliding, turning their back on Jesus, he says, don't do it. Proverbs 28.14, How blessed is the man who fears. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There isn't anything that got, causes you to l lower your guard and your fervency than thinking that you're, you've got it together. Hebrews 6, this is probably the scariest passage in all the Bible. Therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, that's the stuff you get in second grade in Sunday school. Let us press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And some people say, is that me? If you're here, it's not you. But people fall away and they, they stay away and they go far enough to the point where they no longer care. Uh, you probably know some people like that, and you probably invited them to church. You probably talked to them, but uh, they just, uh, they've sort of been inoculated against Christianity. You don't ever want to get there. Number two, there's a high mortality rate in the lives of Christians because they do such a poor job of examining their own life so they don't notice the subtle compromises and the small driftings that take place in their life. Hey, it's no big deal. You know the worst time? is June and July. Worst time, June and July, because, ah, it's vacation. I don't need to read my Bible. I can miss church. I, I can get by without praying. And so they don't even think about the fact that you miss one day, pretty soon you'll miss two days, pretty soon you'll miss three days, pretty soon you're way over here. You don't know how you got there, but you're there and you can't figure out how to get back. And so we don't think very seriously about 
whether we have drifted or not. You know, if we were to go out for a cup of coffee, you and I, and we would just remove all the smoke, the pretentious uh, conversation, and I said to you, how close are you to Jesus, really? Uh, how's your relationship with him? How intimate is it? And have you been growing the whole time, or have you drifted? Have you gotten lukewarm? Often, oh, it's no problem, no big deal. You don't even know because you don't think seriously about it. Uh, that's a problem, and those who don't keep track of their own soul tend to fall away, drift away from him. Deuteronomy 4.9, give heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently, diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. Deuteronomy 4.23, watch yourselves, that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. Joshua 23, 11, so take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. 2 Peter 3, 17, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. We tend not to do that. Number three, so many wander away from the Lord because they stop reading their Bibles every day. Man, I can miss a day. You'll miss two and then pretty soon three, and then pretty soon it's a couple of days a week that you're reading it, and you're pretty off again, on again kind of thing. You will not maintain your faith in Christ uh, with that kind of discipline and Bible reading. It's the foundation. Reading your Bible is the foundation. It's the Word of God. It's living. It's active. It's supernatural. It's powerful. Hebrews 5 this fellow who preaches to his congregation says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teaching other people. But instead you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles, the simple stuff. I mean, you've got to get it all over again. You haven't grown. You've backslidden. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You know what that means? They read their Bibles every day. Not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is an infant. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Uh, you read your Bible every day, you won't backslide. You read your Bible every day, you won't turn your back on Jesus. You won't get lukewarm. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, that is, the Word of God. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Number four, God gives strength. He protects us from the temptations of the devil. He guides us into his perfect will. He convicts us when we compromise his word. He motivates us to be faithful. But there's our part. I fairly often will have someone say to me, Pastor D, you need to lighten up a bit. I mean, this read your Bible every day, every day, every day, every day thing. Pray every day. Give God 15 minutes every day. Don't miss church unless you absolutely have to. I mean, God protects and God gives power and God guides and God delivers us from the evil one. And he does, but there's a condition. That is, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And if we ignore him and don't give him time in prayer then don't expect that he's going to give you his power and his protection and his direction. Hebrew, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 29, He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. That means you just do nothing but focus on Him. You give Him time. You spend time with Him in prayer. Fifteen minutes a day will almost guarantee that you won't backslide. Just 15 minutes, give him some time. How hard is that really? That's not that hard. That's not that big a sacrifice, but it is a daily kind of a focus on him. Those who wait, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. Matthew 26, 41. This is just hours before Jesus is crucified. He says, keep watching and praying. Keep watching and praying. Spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Keep watching. Keep praying. It ought to be 15 minutes every day, every day, every day. Hebrews again. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That means spend time with him. Spend time with him every day. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Number five, many, 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 many sincere, well-meaning, wonderful believers stumble, fall, drift away, fall away, crash and burn because they think they can successfully run the race by themselves with no help from others. So the biggest problem in American Christianity, too, is that we're addicted to comfort. We think that because we are believers, God will make our life easy, comfortable, take away the problems. And the second is, is that we have what John Maxwell calls a John Wayne cult in America. That is, John Wayne cult says, I have my gun and my horse, I don't need you. And what we say is, I have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, I can do it by myself, thank you. And so we're careless about attending church, worship service, getting in small groups, accountability group. I can do it by myself. When it comes to living for Christ, you cannot. God didn't make it us capable of living the Christian life on our own. Everything he gives us that we need, he gives to us through other people. And it's only as we connect that we're able to receive his power, his strength, his guidance, his grace. And so it's those who have established relationships and don't forsake that that really do well. The writer of the Hebrews, again, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Take care. Don't let that happen. But instead, encourage one another. Encourage one another day after day. That means every day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Not forsaking the gathering together, as is the habit of some. Don't do that, because if you do, you'll fall. Encouraging one another more and more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, has insulted the Spirit of grace? 
You know what that means to insult the spirit of grace? I hear it all the time. Pastor, lighten up. God's grace is all I need. When you say, I don't need to read my Bible, God's grace is good enough. I don't need to pray, God's grace is good enough. I don't need to gather with other believers, God's grace is good enough. You're insulting the spirit of grace. And uh, you'll not last. Uh, God expects that we will do the things that he has given us to do that become a channel for his grace into our life, a major one is gathering together with other believers. Number six, salvation is free. We don't have to do anything, but if we don't choose to bear fruit for God after we get saved, we will fall away, guaranteed. We will fall away, guaranteed. Now, I have been in a small airplane once in my life. I've flown in big airplanes a lot, and I know something about airplanes. That is, if they don't go this way, they will go this way. If an airplane stops going forward, it will crash. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's no comp- I mean, that's just it. There's nothing that will prevent that from happening. Forward momentum is what keeps the plane in the air and climbing. Once it stops, it will crash. The same thing is true for you. Forward momentum that's growing and bearing fruit for him. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Someone asked me the other day, what does that mean? I said, I'm not sure, but I know it's not good. It's not good. He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Moving on to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire. They're burned. Bearing fruit is a choice. Hebrews 6, 7, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls in it and brings forth vegetation. That is something that's significant. We, do, uh, we teach Sunday school. We witness. We invite. Uh, we get involved in some kind of ministry brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thistles and thorns, it's worthless, worthless, good for nothing, useless. Close to being cursed, it ends up being burned. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus was a young pastor that Paul was mentoring And he writes to him, This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God, those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable. Again, to Titus, verse 14, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So, you believe in Jesus? That's great. But if you don't choose to serve him and to live for him, uh, you'll crash. Number seven, we're swimming in a cesspool. Watch the news. This world that we live in. When I was a kid on the farm, we had a big barn, and it was 
uh, had a shingle roof on it. Well, it snowed, and when the snow would slide, often the shingles would leave, and there would be leaks in the roof, and we were always patching them. So Dad said, we're going to put a metal roof on the barn. So we got this galvanized, corrugated roofing and big, long sheets, and we roofed the entire barn. And so we took the shingles off, and so there, there's one-by-sixes on top of the rafters, and so it was relatively easy to climb on the roof and to take the, the roofing put on there and put the roofing nails through it and roof it. I got to a particular point, and I looked over a couple of rows of the roofing. Each row was about two feet wide, and I had forgotten a row of nails. I thought, oh, boy, I'll be in trouble with Dad if I don't get that. And so I thought, I, I think I can scooch over there on the roofing and so I made sure that my feet was on the nail head and I kind of got my hands under me palms so it wouldn't slide and I got over there where the, the nails were missing and I got balanced just right and I got all the nails driven in except and when I was doing the last one I slipped and whew, down the roofing I went and right at the edge of our roof was our manure pit and I went into the manure pit feet first up to my armpits, and I was really careful not to lick my lips. <laughs> Dad drug me out, and I kept my mouth closed the whole time. We're swimming in a cesspool. If we don't keep our head up, we will get terribly sick. Don't let the world get even a little hold on your heart, or you're done for. It's quicksand, the world. You know, I used to have one boat, then I got two boats, now I have three boats. I don't know how it works, but boats have babies. I don't know how many fishing rods I have. Uh, it's just kind of the way it is. Pretty soon, the world owns you instead of you owning the world, and it controls, dominates, uses all your time up and all your energy, and you don't have any time to read. You don't have any time to pray. You, you miss church all the time because you've got to use the boat or the camper or whatever. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, jumping to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. <clears throat> no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I mean, I, all the time I'm struggling with that one. Lord, am I entangled? Man, I fish a lot. Uh, am I entangled? I don't want to fall away. I don't want to drift away. Number eight, growing in character, becoming like Jesus, becoming mature is not an option. If we plateau in our spiritual growth, we will fall guaranteed. And so growth spiritually is something we choose. It's a commitment that we make. And if we stop growing, we will fall, guaranteed. Again, the airplane has to be moving forward if it's going to stay in the air. And uh, you can ask yourself the question, have I been growing spiritually, becoming more like Christ in character, or have I plateaued? If you've plateaued, it's just a matter of time before you go down. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. It's a choice we make. Number nine, God's plan to grow us, to be like Jesus, is to use suffering. We don't like suffering. 
So we complain, grumble, get upset. When life gets tough, the result is we don't grow. Instead, we go backwards. I mentioned that there's two significant problems in American Christianity. Uh, the John Wayne cult, I can do it by myself. I don't need you, thank you. The second is, is that we have this thought that because I am a believer, because I have trusted Jesus, God will take care of me. That is, he will remove all the problems and the trials. And when something goes bad in our life, it's like, oh, God must not love me. How can a God of uh, love let this happen? Um, God uses trials. And if you grumble about those trials, they do the, just the opposite. They poison you. I went fishing this last week, and the bait was corn, white corn. And I had four little Tupperware canisters, and one of them I had anise oil, and one of them I had garlic oil, and one of them I had tuna oil, and the other one was sort of a combination of different things. And then I had one that was nothing in it because I had enough. And, you know, it's corn right from the grocery store, and so I thought, I can eat that one. Well, I got the wrong one. Uh, and I, oh man, it was awful. I don't know why fish like it. But, uh, ugh. What would you feel like if you ate rat poison? When you grumble about a trial, you poison your soul. What God intends for good turns into bad. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. This is a letter written to a church at Smyrna. And this is the message that God sends to this church. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. I'd just like to get that from God. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. That word tested means so that you will, uh, be, uh, that you will grow and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Uh, this was a prophecy, actually, and it turned out to be 10 successive Roman emperors that persecuted the church beginning, beginning with Nero. You will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. James says pretty much the same thing. Consider it all joy, all joy, all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, there's that word testing again, testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you might be perfect. That is like Jesus in character, complete lacking in nothing. Hebrews 5, 8, although he was a son Speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Even Jesus went through suffering in order to grow. And so God brings it into our life, and we totally mess up his plan when we say, ah, grumble and complain. And number 10, those who faithfully read their Bibles every day, give God time in prayer every day, and take care of the other disciplines, they do it because they made a commitment to and they made a goal to. They don't wait and say, ah, I think I'll read my Bible. They say, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will read my Bible every day. I may miss a day here and there, but I'll rebound, repent. I'll read my Bible. I'll give God 15 minutes every day. I won't miss church except on rare occasions. I'll be involved in some kind of ministry, even if it's mowing the lawn. I will, I will. They make commitments, they make goals, and they they plan on growing and maintaining forward momentum. Those individuals don't backslide. So, do you know the key when 
uh, you think about you and, and you say, I think I might have plateaued or gone backwards, is you repent. That is, you simply say, Lord, I, I blew it. I messed up. And you choose to make today the first day of a new beginning. I was up in Alaska for three weeks, drove straight through 63 hours, driving up there, fished 16 hours a day for two weeks, drove all the way back, 63 hours back. And I got home and I thought, you know, that was a lot of fun, but... I really compromised on my disciplines. I didn't read as much as I should have. In fact, I missed a number of days. I didn't pray near. In fact, I missed a lot of days. And I came back and I, I said, Lord, I'm not going to do that again. Forgive me. And I repented and, and got everything squared away. God, you can do that as much as every day. You just acknowledge, I blew it. And then you get things squared away. And communion, we're going to take communion right now. It's a great time when you come and uh, kneel if you can or stand and eat the bread and drink the cup. It's saying, Lord, you are king, master of my life, and I'm going to seek you and draw near to you. And you just start again afresh. Uh, God's the God of new beginnings, and you can repent uh, a lot. If you mess up as much as I do, you need to. Somebody this morning said, how many times can you do that before God gets tired? I don't think he ever does. He hasn't with me, I know. So eat the bread, drink the cup this morning as a commitment to, Lord, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to press on. I'm not going to drift away or fall away in my walk and relationship with you. So I'll pray, and then uh, the worship team is going to lead worship, and you just come up as an individual, as a couple, uh, and uh, eat the bread, drink the, the juice, and say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I will press on to know you. Father, thank you. We love you so much, and we pray that you will just guard us, deliver us from the evil one, and Lord, strengthen us so that we run the race with endurance that you've set before us. And we don't drift, we don't slip, we don't go backwards. Uh, help us, Lord, so that we are faithful. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.